Dumbledore and I'm a Cumberland Lodge Fellow currently working towards a PhD exploring the integration of e-scooters in existing streetscapes through the creation of an agent-based model at the Bartlett Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis at University College London. So we are here at Cumberland Lodge um, Conference held in partnership with the UK's independent anti-slavery commissioner, Dame Sarah Thornton, on practice responses to child trafficking, emerging good practice. The conference kicked off yesterday and it's been a fascinating couple of days so far. I am delighted to be joined by Ben Lindsay, founder of Power the Fight, and Dr. Ruth Van Dyke, visiting fellow at St Mary's University for this podcast. Welcome both of you and thank you for joining me. This conference is exploring the role of practitioner evidence in responding to child exploitation in the UK and how such evidence is shared in relation to informing future research and policy needs and improving survivor outcomes. So for both of you, could you just tell us briefly about your current roles? Yes, so um, I am CEO of Power uh, Fight, we empower communities to end youth violence. Um, and I suppose one of the things which links the work that we're doing is that we are uh, a culturally competent conjugal organisation between um, local and central government, but also on the ground. So we work very closely with families who've been impacted by cancer lines, by youth violence, um, those who are needing therapy, but we also inform policy at, at quite a high level as well. And I think it's important for those kind of conjugal organisations which we do both. Hi, I'm Ruth Van Dyke, and I'm uh, currently also acting director at the Bikita Center, where I've been a visiting fellow before. So I do a variety of things. I teach on uh, the master's program on human trafficking, organized crime, and migration. Uh, but I've been involved in a number of um, evaluations of different programs that are supporting victims of trafficking or that are seeking to prevent. And I've been working on a training framework to try to improve uh, professionals' knowledge and skills for those who work with children. So that I've been working with a, a steering group. Thank you for that. So Prime Minister Theresa May famously described modern slavery and human trafficking as the great human rights issue of our time. So Ruth, what is sort of child trafficking and how prevalent is it today in the UK? So if we just take the idea of child trafficking and the way that it's been defined by through the Palermo Protocol is there's three elements that comprise trafficking or you know the police have to use to say this is a criminal offense so one is the act this is where children are recruited often through deception or through like the promises to families that uh, they'll have a better life for going uh, someplace. Uh, there can be then the transport to, to someplace and then they're harbored. Um, there has to be for a purpose of exploitation and in this country it can be sexual exploitation, labor exploitation, um, criminal exploitation, uh, domestic servitude, organs uh, and other things. And there's also an element of coercion um, and this can be through violence or threats to families or the abuse of vulnerability and this is an important understanding that that and, and also that violence doesn't have to be physical it can be psychological like what Ben you were talking about is threats to family now for children you don't need that coercion 
to be seen as a victim of child trafficking. But it's an important part of the story to understand why children are in this situation and often won't express you know, the situation that they're in, or they don't see themselves as a victim. They see themselves as being given an opportunity to help their family or to help themselves. What we have to know is that the government only collects data through the national referral mechanism and those who are people who are referred in. Now, adults can decide whether they want to be referred in to get support, children can't. So, the records are sort of more accurate in, in terms of children because they're automatically referred in. But what we know is there's a kind of an underestimate. Um, you know, there's lots of people who are not identified. The number of children in the last few years has grown exponentially. Um, and this has been particularly as we've begun to recognize that it's particularly been girls who've been subject to child sexual exploitation, that that movement because of understanding what happened in Rochdale where before we just said, those girls, they're not very nice and they've chosen to behave in, you know, in these sexual ways and, and we've treated them as if they had choices and, and that was a lifestyle choice. So recognizing the child sexual exploitation. And more recently, what we've recognized is the way that young people in particular who are selling drugs are now victims of child criminal exploitation, that before we understood it through shoplifting or cannabis cultivation that Vietnamese, but, but many British young people were now recognizing. And so in the last two years, it's grown by 60%. So it was, I was just looking at this data yes, uh, last week, there was like 3,900 3, and now it's up to uh, 4,900. 4, so, so that's really growing. So Ben, which children are most at risk from trafficking and how do the experiences of sort of a UK national and non-UK national children compare? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because we were, again, we were talking about this earlier on, but it's, it can be the same whether it's uh, UK children or those coming into the country. At the same time, it can be very different than there's very nuanced conversations to be had. So when we're talking about the non-UK and we're talking about young people who are coming in, who have escaped from civil war, uh, come from uh, extreme poverty, discrimination, persecution, um, they are more vulnerable. They are trying to work out uh, who do they trust. They're coming in and they are absolutely at the point where they're the most vulnerable type um, of situations. But at the same time, when they are in care, that is, a, that is also a, a vulnerability. If we're talking about a UK perspective, we have to talk about school exclusions, we have to talk about people with fail units, we have to talk about the possibility of the grooming and understanding the drug trade in this country. We were talking, um, I mean, I started doing this work back in 2003. I remember working in youth offending service in 2007 where young people were going missing all the time and but understanding the drug market and knowing that how congested that can be on a street level to move that across country uh, going into council violence is just good business common sense um, but the type of young people we are we are dealing with are the most vulnerable but at the same time I would say that the playing field has been leveled where when we start talking about isolation and increased mental health 
I've seen working class working um, uh, working class people, young people who are um, who are dealing with extreme poverty, but I've also seen middle class to upper class kids who are being groomed on online, social media. So I think if you are a young person who is vulnerable and isolated, it doesn't really matter the background you're coming from, yeah. even though there are nuanced conversations to be had um, if you're coming into this country, um, whether you were born here or not. And I think it's really important because if we start boxing people, yeah. Yeah. I think we start ignoring where some of these problems are. But we have to look at the common denominators, which is poverty, discrimination, persecution, um, and we've got to look at the care system and we've got to look at the education system as well. And we have to have this very uncomfortable conversation about systemic racism, which um, when we look at the type of young people who are more likely to be involved in this, it does tend to be black African kids from uh, in the UK context. Um, and we also, there's a conversation we don't have enough about the girls. Uh, um, we just heard a great presentation, but one of the things I, I'm always concerned about is when we say more boys are accessing particular services, I'm always saying that these boys tend to have girlfriends. <laughs> so why do we not also have the same amount of uptake um, of young girls coming into, in, into these services which go against the anti-traffic? That's really interesting, thank you. So how has COVID-19 affected child exploitation, particularly over the various lockdowns? And would you say the pandemic has brought any particular issues to light? or helped inform a different approach to tackling child trafficking? I mean, we've got, so I always say that, again, uh, the issues which young people go through is exactly the same issues which adults are going through, particularly off the back of the pandemic. Um, mainly that uh, isolation and our mental health has now uh, come to the forefront of, of, of this issue. and. Therefore, if you've seen young people more isolated who are more likely to be on social media, who are more likely to be accessing and being susceptible to uh, to grooming, um, we have to, and increase drug use as well. I mean, I could tell you stories of middle-class people in my area who I've now seen doing drug deals <laughs> during the day, and you're like, I'm sure you're, I've seen you on the school run. And we have, to, we have to be honest that this stuff is becoming more apparent where where's those drugs coming from? I think we're seeing more missing children. So every time I see a missing kid, I'm not thinking more in the Madeleine McCann context. I'm thinking these kids are probably being exploited and now in the case of doing some type of county loan. So I think um, yeah, that has levelled the playing field. Uh, but I think at the same time, these situations have always been there. I think they've just been more amplified during COVID-19. And it's a bit like when people say, uh, you know, youth violence has gone down. Well, it's gone down because nobody is necessarily going out. But at the same time, stop and search has gone up. Yeah. So it's, it, we have to also look at what is actually going on. I don't think much has changed. I just think there's actually been a spotlight on things which have already been there. So one of the things um, that, that also has been an issue that we haven't talked about, but if you, you know, you can have children who are isolated, but children, in a sense, who are bored, because what is there to do? So again, we've hollowed out youth services. So we've pushed huge amounts of money into the criminal justice system, but we've taken away some of those kind of protective environments. And so again, if, if there aren't 
activities and things for for children with, and and young people, then you know if you don't have anything to do, then again you could be you know you can be you know more more at risk. So so I think there's a whole series of things which are kind of policy led. I think um, again under COVID where more more people are, are online. Um, and that sort of grooming can can take place. That there has been concerns about this. I think you know we've gone back to school, but you know as Ben said, what we have is this systemic racism in schools. These high levels of exclusion, and despite you know, <laughs> for years and years, knowing that that's a problem, it is still there. And again, I'd like to pick up the point that Ben made about the girls that we do know that girls are very vulnerable and in these situations may be um, you know, experiencing um, you know, the selling drugs, but they can also be kind of sexually exploited. And so the kind of vulnerability that they have and, and, and the kind of the, uh, the trauma. So I think, you know, I hadn't quite thought of that, but you know, the figures are not represented in terms of the need out there. Um, you know, around around the sort of support, but I think, yeah. I think we've also got to look at uh, the impact on practitioners as well. So I think it's right that we do focus on the young people who have been caught up in this, but also the work that we do is that we realise that um, when it comes to <coughs> mental health and isolation, that also impacts the teachers and the, the people who are doing this work. So. Looking at that, their trauma, creating reflective spaces there, um, uh, having really good clinical supervision. And we have to bring up and talk about cultural competency as well. Um, not only, like Rufus said, a great point, not only has £360 million pounds come off come youth services in the last like, 10 years, um, but also who is delivering and who is doing the work and are you actually culturally competent to understand uh, the local specific issues to that community. So one of the things we advocate for is not just more, for example, in a race context, more black and brown representation in, in doing this work. We're saying if you are white and middle class and doing this work, are you culturally competent? Do you understand the histories? Do you know what's going on in the communities? And, and too often, uh, those practitioners are not equipped to really understand what was going on. And therefore, that is a barrier to whether these young people and families are going to engage with this work to try and move them out of these really difficult and horrible situations. So I do think, and this is something which has come up in the conference a lot, cultural competency, cultural sensitivity, cultural humility to enhance the work of practitioners. Thank you so much, Ben and Ruth, for taking the time out of the conference today. Your conversation has been really interesting. So Cumberland Lodge is exploring child trafficking as part of its 2021 and 22 conference programme. You can find out more about this project and other work at cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. If you're unfamiliar with us, Cumberland Lodge is an educational charity that tackles social division through dialogue and debate at conferences, retreats and panel discussions. Key themes of cross-sector recommendations from this conference will be presented in a joint Cumberland Lodge and IASC report to be launched in central London later this year and shared widely in print and digital formats. Do keep an eye out for it. Thank you once more to the guests and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.